now, it's Health Naturally with herbalist and natural therapist, Dennis Stewart. Dennis Stewart, you've talked about type 2 diabetes quite a lot over the years and you've talked about dietary supplements or diet and supplements and uh, now you want to talk about a supplement though that has been much overlooked and might in fact be really good for diabetic neuropathy. I do Jane, in fact it's very exciting information. We've frequently mentioned oil of evening primrose on the program with reference to the skin but some of the information emerging now, or in fact it's been around for some time, sees oil of evening primrose in the right dosage taken over a long period of time as being potentially very useful for one of these terrible side effects that are experienced by people with diabetes. And a supplement that you reckon could be really helpful? I do believe it's potentially very helpful, Jane. Before we talk about oil of evening primrose, let us just refresh what we have said in the past about useful supplements for people, particularly that are type 2. I've always extolled the virtues of bilberry, particularly for peripheral circulatory problems associated with diabetes, and I've always extolled it as the possibly the, the, the most important supplement to take for protecting the eyes against some of the devastation that can occur um, uh, things like diabetic retinopathy. Uh, I believe that bilberry is still an underused and underappreciated supplement to be taken by individuals as a means of helping to offset that possibility. We've also mentioned on the program time and time again the remarkable possibilities of the ginkgo. Uh, not a lot of people realise that ginkgo has just as much contribution to make, particularly for circulatory and ocular conditions associated with diabetes. I believe, and I've said it before, and I have no problems in, in defending this, that they are probably two of the most useful supplements that diabetic individuals can take, and they will not conflict with prescribed diabetic medicine, medication as far as I'm concerned. But we have not uh, previously said a lot about diabetic neuropathy and I should explain to listeners that uh, diabetic neuropathy is a condition that can assert itself as a prelude to diabetes or become a part of the diabetic um, condition and what it basically means is that, I'll keep it simple Jane, people uh, lose feeling or sensation in their feet. Um, it's it's a, a neurological problem obviously and nerve supply is interfered with Neuropathy basically means uh, damaging of nerve supply to particular areas of the body. Diabetic neuropathy is, is always tested by the GP or the diabetic nurse um, for the regular presentations that we all should have, those that have diabetes, to get themselves tested. Um, I'm, I'm uh, How can I call it? I'm borderline type 2. I'm on no medication. I treat myself with, with diet and herbs. I'm under a very uh, accommodating general practitioner in a practice that I've been associated with for many years. But I go in periodically, and one of the things they do, of course, is prick the sole of my feet with a needle. I'm not real happy about it, but I can feel it. I can feel it, which means I'm not getting diabetic neuropathy. Now, diabetic neuropathy... Uh, is not well known as an agent or a condition that could be helped with one of the most common and economic uh, supplements that we can use, and that is the oil of evening primrose. 
and uh, I've been doing a lot of work and research on this fascinating supplement. Uh, listeners would have uh, heard me talk about oil of evening primrose in relationship to atopic eczema, uh, skin conditions, etc., uh, where it can work in some cases particularly well. But interestingly, the evidence supporting oil of evening primrose for diabetic neuropathy is much sounder than the evidence associated for its usefulness in atopic eczema. And, uh, and there have been a number of clinical trials uh, that have been done on oil of evening primrose that have demonstrated uh, two things, and this is important that should be taken on board, two things, that a trial carried out over a long period of time, uh, one uh, I think involving over 100 uh, participants, went for one year. And at the end of one year, uh, in this trial, there was conclusive evidence to support the, uh, the, the proposition or the, the usefulness of oil of evening primrose as an agent to potentially even reverse diabetic neuropathy. Now, that's a big call, but I've researched the literature, and the literature is very sound, medically and pharmaceutically based, which confirms oil of evening primrose with its fascinating chemistry should be seen as a useful agent to be taken by a diabetic to seek to withstand the assertion of diabetic neuropathy and even if neuropathy is active it is a supplement that may according to the literature and trials reverse it now i think that's very exciting it is exciting very exciting indeed mm. now deb you've you've got a question about flu and your ears are blocked is that right Thank you for taking the call. I've got my eustachian tube in my left ear, I've been told, is blocked, and I've been suffering with this after the flu. Yes. And I've been told there's this um, balloon that you can buy that uh, the chemist fellow was telling me about it, and you actually have an inflated balloon, you put it in the nasal passage, and it releases air up into the nasal passage, and then you swallow while you're trying to create some kind of vacuum, I imagine. Is that... Doesn't sound right to me, Deb. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that, um, and I would think that any procedure um, like that, in my opinion, if it's a reality, should only be undertaken or carried out uh, under medical supervision. That's my opinion. Um, yes. What I would all. I always address what we used to call eustachian tube catarrh, with with the bracket of of, of herbs. Um, which okay. which are very strongly recommended in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. And I will give you the name of the herbs that are most yes. popularly used. And these herbs can be purchased either individually or from a herbalist or a compounding pharmacist can be put into a liquid formula for you. Now, well, I'm very keen for that, yes. Okay. Now, um, the, the herbs are quite straightforward. The uh, leading one is a herb called Echinacea. Yep. And it's reinforced by the second most popular American herb that we use called Golden Seal. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, uh, a quaint little herb that's not that frequently used but is classically uh, called up for this is the European herb known as Ground Ivy. Okay. Now, those three herbs form the basis of the ones that are most anti-catarrhal in most herbal preparations also, uh, the herb fenugreek okay. would make up the other herb and in a compound formula, that
that would normally be prescribed in a five mil, three times daily dose. But your your uh, therapist would uh, label it up appropriately. That would be a group of herbs that I would I would immediately think of for what we call what I still call eustachian tube catarrh. But let me point out also that um, controversial as this may sound, the uh, remedy known in biochemistry as Kaylee Murr, K-A-L-I-M-U-R, standing for potassium chloride, in in a 6X homeopathic potency, so it's usually labelled Kaylee Murr 6X. That is sometimes so remarkable in its ability to resolve this condition that it would defy even the greatest of sceptics. And you'll frequently find that particular biochemic remedy uh, called up under the heading of congestion because it's a biochemic remedy that old practitioners such as myself were trained in very early, still use it occasionally, particularly where there is blockage, build-up of fluid, and particularly in the eustachian tube. So if I were in your situation, um, I would be using those herbs in a compound formulation reinforced by the biochemic remedy Kaylee Murr 6X. Would it be right to say that it's interfering with my tinnitus as well because that's driving me more mad than normal? I would think that it would contribute to exacerbating it. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll definitely follow all that up, if not with you. I think you should follow it up with whoever you can get to prescribe it for you. And thanks for your call, Deb. Good luck. Um, We are now going to Salamander Bay and Colleen. um, And you've got a question about astragalus. Yes, thanks, Dennis and um, Jane. Hello, Colleen. Um, yeah, my husband got me some astragalus um, yes. over a month ago. I yes. was quite sick when we were away. Yes. And, um, but anyway, the one that he got me it had astragalus 8. Yes. Anyway, and I ran out of that, so I went to get some more, but they only just had astragalus. So is there a big difference? Okay, I'll explain it to you. Astragalus membranaceus is the... Uh, is the herb that's most popularly used in Asia and increasingly now as an immunosupportive remedy, particularly for a chronic condition. On its own, it is quite a remarkable remedy. Um, And it not only is remarkable on its own, but it leads or spearheads a well-known, very well-known combination of herbs known as Astragalus 8. Now, Astragalus 8 was developed... Uh, in China and and initially used in the US as a treatment, uh, how can you call it, a supportive treatment, um, treatment to support uh, medical treatment for patients that were suffering from HIV. And it it, it was shown to be useful in improving their resistance to infection and improving their prognosis. And I discovered the formula in my preparation for lectures to a Melbourne postgraduate group and as far as I'm aware, gave the first lectures on Astragalus 8 in Australia, and it has turned out to be, uh, in my opinion, a superlative representation of Astragalus on its own or Astragalus in combination with remedies that share its similar function. So, to to be fair, um, Astragalus on its own is remarkable. Astragalus 8 uh, is remarkable, but perhaps with a plus behind it. Oh, 
that's okay. No, because I find it's doing me really good. Yes, I'm but, not surprised. Um, I'm yeah, not surprised. But, <laughs> but um, when I could only find this one, I thought I still bought it, you know, taking it. Yeah, look, your um, retailer obviously knows what he or she is doing. And I must support them in in um, recommending or giving you the astragalus, um, because as I've said, it on its own is a remarkable remedy. Excellent. Thanks for your call. Uh, Jan is from Raymond Terrace. Jan, your question's about dosages. Now, what are we thinking about here? Uh, hello. I was just wondering when medication says take one or two tablets daily. Can you split the dose or is it better to take the dose at the one time? Okay, look, there's uh, controversy about this, but I can only say with reference to most supplements, I find it easier to take the lot in the morning. Right. Now, not not everyone would agree with that, but I well remember a seminar that I gave in, in Tasmania uh, or Hobart years ago, and I was teaching a group uh, and... Uh, one of the students was a medical practitioner who was very interested in herbs and was using it or using herbs herself. And I was always talking about dosage there uh, under the old basis of TDS, which means three times daily. And at the end of it, uh, she drew me aside and said, look, um, I really don't think, um, based on modern prescribing, that the TDS scenario is that necessary. And um, I have found that she's probably right, particularly with, with herbal supplements. Now, I'm not talking about medical treatment. There may well be uh, requirements to split dosages across the day, but I have found that I have, in my own usage of supplements, uh, tended to be, how can I call it, uh, more emphatic on taking the dose in the morning, and that seems to have got me by. Um, yeah, I came in at the tail end uh, of that uh uh, discussion there on dietary neuropathy and uh, so the, my question is uh, whether any of, if, if that evening primrose oil also applies to peripheral neuropathy. Right, we are actually talking about peripheral neuropathy and but what we're talking about is peripheral neuropathy associated with a diabetic condition there are various forms of neuropathies and my comments today are associated particularly uh, with what's called diabetic neuropathy. That is a condition that can occur with people that have diabetes. And in, in that context, I am putting forward information which pretty solidly supports the idea that evening primrose oil, a common economic supplement available over the counter in health food stores and pharmacies, contains an interesting chemistry which uh, can actually help resolve or limit um, the condition, lessen its development perhaps, and also uh, from the literature, potentially reverse a level of the condition. And I think that's very important. So Tony, if you have a peripheral neuropathy associated with a diabetic condition, I would be suggesting um, that you certainly uh, start to use some oil of evening primrose. Yeah, it's actually not associated with uh uh, with di dietary uh, conditions, so di it's a separate diabetes. thing. Diabetes, diabetes. Sorry, about. Yeah, it's, it's, mm. yeah. Sorry, it's not associated with diabetes. Well, all I can say, Tony, is that all the literature that I've read on evening primrose oil does tend to restrict its usefulness to a diabetic application. So, unfortunately, at this stage, I couldn't recommend it to be used. It's a great supplement that it is, 
but uh, I'm not familiar with what form of neuropathy you've got, but outside of diabetic neuropathy, I, I wouldn't be recommending at this stage the use of evening primrose oil because it may do you no good. Okay, well, thanks very much for that. Thank you. And thank you, Tony, for your call. 49216216 if you've got a question to put to Dennis. And in the meantime, Dennis, perhaps we might think about what it is in the oil of evening primrose that helps resist it. Yes. I think in in the uh, modern use of natural supplements, the amount of science now that's emerging to support uh, some of the claims that have been made for natural medicine is accelerating and quite impressive. What we know about oil of evening primrose, and by the way, when I was uh, doing some preparation for this talk, I reflected on a field excursion that I did with my students in the Hunter Valley probably 20 years ago, and there at the at what's called Old North Road, off Wine Country Drive, is a large paddock. And we had the fortune as, a, as a, a large group of about 40 students studying under me, doing a field excursion, to come across a whole field of evening primrose. It was, it was just magic. And uh, I actually have photographs of what are, what, what are called slides, we don't <laughs> use them there, of that event. So, uh, but oil of evening primrose, um, it comes from the seed of primrose oil. The herb itself has uses, but the oil... Uh, is produced from the seed and it contains an interesting uh, bracket of what are called essential fatty acids, EFAs. Now essential fatty acids are very important for the body and I'll not spend a session talking about chemistry but one of the essential fatty acids belonging to what's called the omega-6 group of fatty acids is known as gamma-linoleic acid, gamma-linolenic acid, abbreviated GLA. And sometimes labelling on oil of evening primrose supplements will give the amount of gamma linoleic acid in the supplement. But suffice it is to say, the chemistry of the oil now is very, very well defined. And in one of the most impressive texts on herbal medicine, written by three outstanding pharmacists and pharmacognosists in the UK, Dr Joanne Barnes from the University of London, Dr Linda Anderson from the Medical Centre in London and probably one of England's greatest and most renowned pharmacists and pharmacognosists, Dr David Philipson, in their book, uh, which I used a number of years ago in a postgraduate course, which is readily available and I, I recommend to every pharmacist they get hold of what's called herbal medicine by those three writers, the information on oil of evening primrose in that text is so impressive and so credible and so scientifically presented that only an arch-sceptic would uh, question the claims that are made and the statements that are made in that reliable text. So the chemistry on evening primrose oil is very well defined in that text and others of similar ilk, and it is the content of gamma-linoleic acid in the oil of evening primrose which is considered to be behind the benefit that occurs in helping manage diabetic Neuropathy. Okay, mm. and it works for other things as well as yeah, look, neuropathy I think and this diabetes? Is, uh, we've mentioned it before. Oil of evening primrose uh, is perhaps a little bit underrated today. We've mentioned a lot in recent years of the, the virtues of, of fish oil and things like that, and there's a little bit of a question mark being put against some of the, uh, how can I call it, the, the claims that have been made for fish oil. I'm still a, a supporter of fish oils, but I think it was pushed a bit hard and there's been a little bit of 
uh, not criticism, but questioning of some of those claims. Oil of Evening Primrose, in my opinion, has been overlooked as a result of this perhaps emphasis on fish oils, and yet uh, it made its reputation years and years ago in the medical literature as a useful agent, particularly for, for children's atopic eczema. Now, this doesn't mean to say that it's the cure for atopic eczema, but I can't think of too many conditions uh, of eczema that I've treated, particularly with children, that I haven't recommended oil of evening primrose. And one of my most impressive uh, resolving of an eczema case, one of the worst cases of, of dermatitis and eczema of the hands I've ever treated, incorporated as part of the management oil of evening primrose. But we haven't really expanded on that. And we should realise that oil of evening primrose has other dramatic uses. We've mentioned, for instance, rheumatoid arthritis with reference to fish oils. The information in the literature that I've mentioned and in the literature that I, that I frequently refer to suggests that oil of evening primrose may be more effective in correct dosage for managing rheumatoid arthritis than other oils, even perhaps the fish oil, even perhaps the fish oil. And while we're thinking about skin things, uh, Alan has rung in from Singleton on 49216216 and uh, your question's about uh, psoriasis. Hello, Alan. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, Alan. How are uh, you? you? You know me very well. I've seen you at Warner's Bay. I had the bad hands, you know. Oh, I do. Fun. I do. That's a long time ago, Alan. Right it is, but I still follow your advice. Well, there you go. Good on you. And I want to give you a bit of feedback. Yes. Um, on your um, recommendation, stiff, sore and sorry. Oh, yes. I also have psoriasis, you know. Yes, yes. Where yes. it packs around the bones yes. and the itch. Yes, yes. Stop the itch. And it's hit me in the back now. Yes. And I put the um, stiff, sore and sorry on. Mm -hmm. Takes your itch out straight away. You don't have to try and ignore it. It's fantastic. Well, there you go. But Dennis Stewart, other, other, other uses. Mm. I think before we say anything about other uses, Jane, it's probably important at this point, particularly with diabetic neuropathy, to mention two things, and then I'll excite listeners with another uh, area where this herb is underrated. But with diabetic retinopathy, uh, a di sorry, diabetic neuropathy. Um, if one is going to undertake using this, there's a couple of things that should be taken on board. The first thing about it is all the literature, including that which I've mentioned today, indicates that this is not a drug, and certainly not a drug that will work overnight. If one is going to use this nutritional supplement in an attempt to lessen or offset the possibility of diabetic neuropathy, the information that I read and quote suggests that anything up to a year would need to be worked with to get a conclusive, a conclusive indication or perhaps even a resolution. In fact, in one of the texts that I've mentioned today, or I haven't mentioned it today, but Mosby's text, which is a, a modern reference text that's used by any practitioner of complementary medicine, a statement there is important where it is said that patients using evening primrose oil should be advised that this is a very slow-acting treatment and that um, patience is necessary. Now, I mention this because people are famous 
for saying, oh, I gave that a go. Didn't work, didn't work, gave it a go, didn't work. Um, the reality of it is we must appreciate that with many of, many of the things that I talk about on this program are better seen as nutritional supplements, which generally speaking are very slow to assert themselves, very safe, but very slow to assert themselves. In the text written by the three uh, British uh, pharmacists titled Herbal Medicine, they made an interesting statement also stating that three months is a period before which one would be able to perhaps even notice any indication of change. In their book Herbal Medicine, they say, look, length of time is terribly important. Three months is when you may be given a hint but most of the trials have gone much longer and the one I quoted from Mosby was up to a year and that showed a very, very positive resolution. So if listeners who want to challenge this treatment or give it a go want to participate or start using it, don't even go there unless you're prepared to take the advice on hand because I don't want listeners saying, oh, Dennis Stewart said this and I worked, I took it for a month and nothing happened. I don't want that to be taken on board if one is going to use this one has to give it a, a very long period of time, as with most things. And the other thing is, and this is crucial, and I know we've emphasised this frequently on the program, simply because a thing is a supplement, that doesn't mean to say that dosage is unimportant. And particularly with, with the oils that we've mentioned on the program, fish oil in particular, uh, in rheumatoid arthritis... Fish oil is recommended in something like six to nine grams. And I get patients coming in I'm saying, I've tried fish oil, it doesn't work. I said, well, how much you take? I take one capsule a day. Well, you're playing with it. Now, with um, oil of evening primrose, the dose for peripheral neuropathy from both texts is four to six grams of evening primrose oil daily. Four to six grams of evening primrose oil daily is the level that's recommended in the modern literature. Both texts that I've mentioned today talk about that level. Now, you can get evening primrose oil in capsules and your pharmacist or health food store person could work out for you, if you like, how many capsules equated, say, with four to six grams daily. If you're not a mathematician, and you don't have to be, by the way, but most of these capsules come uh, in milligram dosages, some of them come in one gram dosage, but four to six grams is what's required to use this thing with potential success. We do have a caller on the line, Dennis, and Wayne joins us from Mayfield West. Uh, Wayne, your question's about sinus. Hello, Wayne. Yeah, it sure is. G'day, Dennis. G'day, uh, Jane. How are you? Good, um, good. Look, I've had, I've had, I've never had sinus. I'm 55. I've never had sinus issues before, mm. but. Um, since January, I've had a sinus infection, which I've had um, multiple antibiotics, which haven't worked for my local GP. And I was put under a specialist uh, about five or six weeks ago. He is a nose and throat specialist who will put me on uh, clarithmomycin. I can't even pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> clarithmomycin yes, yeah, tablets, yeah, yeah. which is a pretty heavy dosage, which I've been on every day, as well as some other capsules, okay. which are... Uh, and a fasortolone, okay. uh, as well as nasal sprays and nasal wash every day, etc. But I, look, mate, none of that's working, mm. and I've got to go back to see the specialist again in another few weeks. Okay, and I'm really looking at you know some alternative that might help in some way. Well, 
in my experience, and it's a very long experience, which is, is uh, rapidly coming to an end, I have found that uh, that sinus is a condition that is very responsive to to herbal medicine, and I have always used the recommendations of the 1983 edition of the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, uh, which has been my text from virtually day one. It changed my whole approach to herbal medicine. I've used it as my basic reference text in all my lectures. In that text, herbs that are mentioned for sinusitis would be as follows. And what I would be suggesting is that you go to a compounding pharmacist or a herbalist and have a liquid formulation made up on the following herbs. Uh, have you got a pencil and paper? Yep. And I would stand by this formula. The uh, combination incorporates, interestingly, a herb called eyebright. And you might say, well, why, why is eyebright in it? Well, eyebright is referred to by Simon Mills, the most prominent herbalist in the English-speaking world, as the herb for all watery conditions of the upper respiratory tract. It has a massive impact on congestion, infection, um, ear, nose and throat. So eyebright and the European herb elder and the American yep. and the American herb echinacea yep. and the American herb golden seal yep. and the herb ground ivy. Now those five herbs would be uh, all represented in what we call fluid extract form and they would be dispensed as one preparation, a compound formula. Herbal medicine really is the art of compounding, blending herbs with an historic basis, these days reinforced by inadequate uh, science. Those things would be put together, usually a dose of five mils of the formula would be taken three times daily, and yep. that formula would be supported by my great uh, support remedies for the upper respiratory tract, particularly for sinusitis, and that is bioflavonoids with vitamin C and bromelain. Bioflavonoids with vitamin C and bromelain. And do hope that helps, Wayne. And uh, we are joined now by Helen on Health Naturally from Morissette Triagonal Neuralgia. Trigeminal Neuralgia. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm not sure how to pronounce yeah. it either. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, it's not a, my problem. It's sorry. It's a nasty. <laughs> it's a nasty condition, Helen. Yeah. Good day, Ben. Good day. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Um, I have a friend. Uh, yes. She's been suffering with it for quite yes. a while, probably yes. about within the last year. And um, she was just at the specialist somewhere in Sydney a few days ago. Yes. And um, uh, um, she's actually looking, looking at an operation, but yes. she decided not to go ahead with it because there was too many side effects. Yes. So um, she's been prescribed some creams, which or creams and medication, not cream, medication which makes her too tired, yes. which is no good. Yes. But there was another cream that she was um, prescribed by this um, specialist. It's very expensive, but it's about $300 for a small little container of it. I don't know if I can tell you, say the name on air or not. Um, Best not to. If, if you yeah, know, if you know yeah, the chemistry um, of it, that's different. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm just wondering, um, yeah, is there any other okay. creams apart from that one? I know a program's nearly at an end, but what I would say is this one of my most successful managements of trigeminal neuralgia was that when I treated a dear lady uh, in the, uh, on the, on the top of the hill coming out of Gosford. She was a dear lady that lived there uh, who became very close to me. I treated that lady's trigeminal neuralgia with acupuncture 
and it, it was the only thing that gave her relief. Now, admittedly, for many, many months, I would go up there at least once a week to her home and treat her with acupuncture. I started my career, actually, as an acupuncturist, and that, in that case, did a, a remarkable amount of good to that dear lady. Um, so if your if you're friend has not uh, used acupuncture, what I would be suggesting is that, uh, to start with, she discuss it with a GP who may know, in fact, of a medical acupuncturist. Uh, if not, she can take the initiative and find uh, a register of uh, professional or qualified acupuncturists, but that would be one of the first areas that I would consider. Okay. Thank you for your call. That sounds like a good direction to go. Mm. And uh, we don't have Gavin on the line, but we do have Gavin's question. Yeah, okay. How is oil of primrose yeah. taken? A good well, way to finish well, up. Well, Gavin, it's taken very, very easily. It's uh, these days taken in an encapsulated form. And it, that probably is the best way of taking it because you can actually measure out accurately the amount of primrose oil that you might need to take. So go to get the capsules. They're very, very economical these days. That's excellent. And, um, yeah, it's the best way of taking it. Absolutely. And you just need it to make sure... bypasses the taste. <laughs> by, by the way, the taste is not too bad. Oh, there you go. There That's you go. good. <laughs> it, is, it is, after all, a natural flower, oh, yeah, isn't so, it? <laughs> some of the natural flower tastes are pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, I dare say they are. And that's uh, very close to being the end of Health Naturally. Uh, just to say that we do have a podcast of this program. If you'd like to catch any of Dennis's words of wisdom again through our website to nurfm.com.